Exodus chapter 12 this morning. Now I understand that this is the first Sunday of our stewardship month. Um, and uh, in fact, I, I taught on it this morning in Sunday school, just like if you attended Sunday school, your teacher taught on it, no doubt. And so I am quite aware of that. However, as we begin a new year, I ask myself, where should we begin? And I believe if we're going to have a successful year, uh, a year that we make an impact in our community where we live and, 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 and we allow the Lord to do something in our lives, I believe we ought to begin with Christ. So this morning I want to do nothing more than just present Christ to you in a very uh, extravagant way. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 1, the Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and, and on the upper door post of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now several years ago, I remember this very vividly, we live in a part of the country where uh, the threat of tornadoes is, is pretty prevalent. And I remember several years ago when I was quite a bit younger, a tornado was threatening. And you know, I had lived through several of these before, and, and I've never actually been a part of a tornado. I know many of you probably have, and you've seen them, and you've been around them, but I've always just felt the threat of them, but I've never actually seen one or had to go prepare for one. But this night seemed different. The I would say the newscasters and the weather people seem to be more vehement in their warnings and in their uh, 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 
opportunity to tell us exactly what was wrong and tell us of the extreme danger of these uh, tornadoes. And as they showed the graphics on television, it was quite clear that right where we were is where it was the most threatening. Now, we live in a, a, a house there where my parents live now, and, and uh, my parents always told me if, if we were to have a tornado, that my closet in my room would be the best place for us all to get. It was quite a bit bigger, um, and it was right in the center of the house. Obviously, there's no windows or anything like that. And uh, our bathrooms had windows in them, but right there in the center of the, the house, my closet did not have windows, or, and it was perfect. And so they always said, if a tornado ever comes, Andrew, you go get in there. Well, as I was watching all this uh, weather forecast and saying, tornadoes are coming, prepare your house, prepare yourself, I remember feeling a sense of responsibility and urgency to clean that closet out. <laughs> because... I am not by any means a clean person, as my wife could probably even attest. She says, you don't even shower but once a week. So I, 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 and I remember seeing that weather forecast, and I said, man, if a tornado were to hit now, we'd have to leave Dad out in the cold, man. And so what I did is I, I went into my room, and I opened that closet. And, and now, not all the stuff was mine. My closet was uh, pretty large, and so a lot of the stuff from days gone by and years gone by was kind of just in my closet. So I, I began to clean everything out. I was ripping things out. I was putting shoes in places where they could go so that we'd have a spot for Dad and, and Mom and me and Mandy, if she could fit, you know. But just getting there, Mandy. But... I remember that urgency because I didn't know. I didn't know if the tornado was going to strike us. With that sense in mind, that's the only type of emotion that I could picture as this scenario is playing out in the Bible. This is the Passover. This is the tenth and final plague of God upon Egypt as he's going to deliver the children of Israel. And plague after plague after plague, I'm certain that the children of Israel were saying, oh, surely after this one. But God tells Moses and he tells Aaron that after this plague, he would release them. But this plague was going to be more severe than any of the others. This plague, and we read it, would be that God would strike down and smite the firstborn of every household, not only of the child or uh, uh, children, but also of the animals. And God was going to do that. But in order for Israel to be saved, it wasn't that they were Israelites they were saved. Because it wasn't their nationality that saved them. It was the shedding of blood of one little lamb. Today all I want to do to you is preach on this thought, the significance of the lamb. The significance of the lamb. I want to introduce to you first of all this morning, the beauty of the lamb. I want you to see in verse number 5 exactly how God needed this lamb to look. I need, there were certain requirements and certain things that God had placed upon Israel that this lamb had to be qualified for this task. Verse number 5 tells us this lamb was unique. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the firstborn year, he shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Now, now, let's think real quick. Where is Israel at this point? Egypt. 
And if we were to be very honest with another and, and give them some type of title as to what they were, what were they? Slaves. They were in bondage. They only ate what was given to them. Egypt cared for them. In every way, and, and we even know that at one point Pharaoh gets so angry, he placed upon them taskmasters to heavy their burden. Israel had no say. They were slaves. As God asked for this lamb, this would not have been easy for Israel to give. Because everything that they had was essentially Egypt. Now, we know in Exodus chapter 9, the Bible teaches us that they did have herds. They had herds of cattle. They had herds of sheep. But I would assume, and, and I believe you could give me this liberty, and we could take this liberty, that if they're in Egypt, anything the Egyptians saw that they wanted, they could take. So as God asks for this lamb, the most valuable lamb, the most precious lamb, this would not have been easy to give. One day as John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus had not been revealed publicly and he had not yet set out on his public ministry. And John was preaching, preaching, preaching. And the Bible says one day that in John chapter 1, the Pharisees came to John and were questioning him about his preaching and about his motives and even why he was baptizing. And John says, oh, I'm not a prophet. I'm I'm not the Messiah you speak of. I'm not him. But when he comes, I will not be worthy to unlatch the shoe uh, latch on his shoe. He says, oh, this man is going to be different. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that the very next day, John was busy preaching and he was busy baptizing. And I'm sure this is not the first time someone walked down the bank. But John looks up and he sees something different about this one. See, he wasn't like everybody else that had come to be baptized. He was different. The Bible says that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And John looked up. And the only words that he could utter from his heart, he had been preparing the way for this man. He had been preaching the way for this man. He was so excited. And and the only words, the words that most accurately described the emotions he was feeling was, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. You see, this would not have been an easy lamb for Israel to give, but it was not an easy lamb for God to give. See, this lamb was beautiful, was precious. The Bible says in in, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 19, Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without spot and without blemish. You see, we were not redeemed by gold or silver or anything that money could buy. We were redeemed by the only thing that God could not reproduce, the very blood of His only begotten Son. God spilled that blood for us. What a precious lamb we have been given. One day a man was going through his attic. It was his family's estate, but his family had recently passed away. And so he was going through the attic to find things that he might want. And he he found a pile of old books and he went through them one by one. And 
found some that he liked, but he discarded most. And he went later to lunch with a friend, and he began to tell him of all the things that he had found. And he told him of this old book pile. Well, it just so happened that his friend was a collector of books and knew quite a bit about them. And this man began to describe some of the books, and most of them had no value, but he got to one book, and he, he began to describe it. He says, very, very, very old, and, and I just threw it away because I, I, I couldn't really see any value in that. It was printed by someone named uh, 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 Guten, uh, Guten, and the friend's jaw dropped. And he says, was it, was it a Bible? He says, yeah, it was an old Bible, but I mean, the cover was, was worn out. It was just tearing up. It was, it was not worth anything. The man said, was it Gutenberg? Was it Gutenberg? And the, the friend said, yeah, I think that's right. It, it, it was a Gutenberg Bible. It was. And, and the man's jaw dropped. He says, you threw that away? Friend, just a week ago, that Bible sold at auction, the same Bible sold at auction for over $2 million. The friend, very unimpressed and almost kind of laughed and said, well, this one wouldn't have been worth near that much. Not only was it torn up, but some guy, some German guy had written all in it by the name of Martin Luther. See, sometimes we take for granted what we have. And when, uh, when we, familiarity breeds contentment. We're so familiar with the cross and we're so familiar with the blood of Christ and we, and we, we, we hear him and we, 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 we hear him preached and we see him preached and yet so often it doesn't move us at all. But I'm here today to tell you, friend, if nothing else moves you in this world, it ought to be the fact that God's only begotten Son came and He hung on a cross and His blood was shed, not for the sins of the world only, but for your sins. If nothing else moves you, that ought to. For the Lamb was beautiful. Not only do I want to point out to you the beauty of the Lamb, I want to point out to you the burden of the Lamb. The burden of the Lamb. I want you to look with me in verse number 3. Now, we've got to think a little bit here. Stay with me as I explain this. The Bible says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Now, think with me. What day is this? The tenth day of the month. And every man was to take this lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Let's skip on down to verse 6. They were to remove the lamb from the herd in the tenth day. But in, six, in verse 6, the Bible says, And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And what are they going to do with it after that? And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So in other words, they were to take this lamb on the tenth day of the month and separate it from the rest of the herd. And four days later, on the fourteenth day, that evening, they could then do to that lamb what it had been set apart to do four days earlier. You see, that lamb on the tenth day was as good as dead. But death did not come until the fourteenth day. Did you know that the Bible is very clear in the teaching that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world? Before Christ ever 
stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke this world into existence, the Bible teaches in Colossians chapter 1. Before Christ ever uh, spoke everything as he did in John chapter 1, before Christ created it all, he had died for it all. Christ was set apart to die. You see, he came not to be crowned king, not so that he could heal lepers. He came to die. From the very day he was born in that manger, as we've just recently celebrated, he was not there to be born and placed in a manger. He was there to be hung on a cruel cross. Do you know Jesus even said in John chapter 10, No, take it, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. See, even Christ, while he was walking this earth, said, One day I'm going to give my life for you. But don't be confused. It may seem like they're leading me to the cross, but I'm walking on my own free will. Christ laid himself down. Isaiah chapter 53 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. You see, this sheep had no idea what it was set apart for on the tenth day. It didn't know if it was getting special treatment. It had no idea if it was just getting fattened up to be happy and have a good life from then on. It had no idea on the tenth day what was going to come the fourteenth day. But I'm here to tell you today, Christ could have run. His tenth day came long before he was ever born. And yet he chose to willingly lay himself on that cross and to willingly place his hand on that cross so that some man could strike a nail through his hand. And he willingly placed his feet together so that some man could strike a nail through his feet. He willingly laid there so that some man could take a cat of nine tails and beat him over and over and over again. He willingly glanced at people so that they could spit in his face. He willingly laid out his face so that people could grab his beard and rip it out. You see, there was no confusion as to who was crucifying himself that day. For it was not man crucifying Christ. It was Christ allowing man to crucify him. The burden of the lamb is the fact that the lamb was going to die. And it had to die for us. It did not matter if they were Jewish or not. It did not matter if they were slaves or not. The only thing that matters is if the blood had been applied. It was only then that the, the angel would pass over them if the blood had been applied. The beauty of the lamb and the burden of the lamb, I want you to secondly look at this. The belief in the lamb. Now look in verse number 7. The Bible says, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. You see, they were to take the blood of this lamb and they were to slaughter the lamb. But after the lamb had been slaughtered, they were to collect the blood and place it on their door. 
And as the angel would move around and gods would move around the uh, land of Egypt, he would look at each and every individual door and make sure that the blood had been applied exactly how he had prescribed. If they had not done it, they would have died. But every man believed the word of Moses and believed that God had given him a message. And as Moses delivered the message, every man must have done exactly what God said so that they would save their house and they would save their child and they would save their animals. Did you know the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 9? And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. See, there's a lot of people in this world and in this life that believe there's some other avenue to heaven. Some people believe if they can just climb steps on their knees and and bloody their backs, and some people believe if they can just beat themselves so that they may impress their God, that it may, may earn them some type of favor. But did you know that all things are purged by the law, but the shedding of blood brings remission of sin? It did not matter if the Jews had thought of some creative, clever way. It did not matter if the Jews had lived a good life. It did not matter of anything except if the blood had been applied. One of the things I'm most fearful about in modern day Christianity is people knowing about the blood but not applying the blood. It's been said that the distance that will keep most people out of heaven is 12 inches. Head knowledge and heart knowledge. See, many of us have heard the story preached so many times that we, we're very familiar and we can even present it ourselves. But we don't. We have not applied the blood to our own life. And it doesn't matter if we think that we found a different way or a better way or if someone's teaching you a different way. All that matters is you do it God's way. And my wife teaches down at Joshua Christian Academy and i just be honest with you, she's a really good teacher. I mean, if I had been in school when uh, uh, she was teaching, I would have probably never got work done because I'd just been looking how beautiful my teacher was all the time. I, I give her a lot of insults while I'm up here, so occasionally I just got to slip in a compliment there. Uh, but she is a great teacher, and, and maybe the kids don't think so, but it seems to me that she cares about the students. She always goes the extra mile to present to them anything that they need to know. But one day, she came home and she told me her plan. And what she was going to do is, she was testing them over some stuff, and she felt like the test was going to be very hard. And so she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put in the instructions at the top of the paper that if they just write their name at the top of the paper and return it to me, they'll get a hundred. But for those people who actually take the test, they will be graded upon their ability to take the test. So uh, I remember going in class that day after the test had been given, and nearly half the class was just sitting there angry at her. There had been just a few that had read the instructions and gotten it right, and all they did was write their name at the top of the paper and turn that test in. Could you imagine somebody getting a test, writing their name at the top of it, and then going five seconds later to turn it in, and you're sitting there trying to struggle through these answers? How did you get done that fast? 
I remember there was a lot of people that didn't read the instructions and didn't get it exactly right. And there were some that didn't have to work at all. They just followed the instructions. There's a lot of people in this world that are working themselves to death. But that's exactly where it's going to lead them. All that matters is if we trust in our Savior like God asks us to. Oh, it doesn't matter if you can be a good person. There is some of the best people I know are going straight to hell. Because they don't know Christ. Because the Lamb of God, the blood that He shed for them, is not going to apply to their own life. You see, it does not matter what you can do. There is, God has no respect of persons. There is no uh, work that you can do that could earn you some favor in heaven. To a holy God, your very best thing that you do on a day-to-day basis falls flat. But He so graciously gave the Lamb of God. And can I say this? If God was willing to give us His very, very best, why would we not be willing to do the same? There was no reservation. I've heard a song sung before and it says, God searched through heaven to find one willing to die. But in reality, in theology, there was no one else qualified to die. You know, as strong as old Gabriel may be, he draws his strength from the one that died on the cross that day. There was no one qualified to die. God gave the thing that was the most difficult to give. Isn't it a little petty how much we hoard our money? Isn't it just a little petty how much we hoard our time? When you view it in the light of what God gave us, does it not just seem trivial that we would be willing to hold anything back from Him? today, my friend, we need to make sure that we're applying the blood to our life. You know, this is what the Bible teaches, and we're done. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, and many of us know this verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the Bible goes on to say this, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. For he that believeth on the name of the Son of God is saved already. But he that believeth not on the name of the Son of God is condemned. And this is the condemnation, that light came into the world, and men love darkness rather than they love light. It doesn't matter if Christ came and died for you if you're not willing to believe in it. Just like you take a test and you don't read the instructions, God has prescribed an exact method to your salvation. You know what that is? Believe on the name of the Son of God. Believe that the blood that's been placed on your heart's door, believe that that will allow God to pass over you. That's all it takes. Oh, we have made the, 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 the plan of salvation so difficult. Paul says, I I, I worry that you have strayed from the simplicity of the gospel. Oh, you know what the gospel is? The simple plan of salvation? 
believe on the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lamb of God, which has taken away the sins of the world, oh, you won't have to fear death at that point. You won't have to worry when you lay your head down at night whether or not you're going to wake up in hell or whether you're going to wake up in heaven. Christian, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that you may know you have eternal life. Too many people walk around unassured. Too many people walk around with doubts in their hearts when God gave us the precious Lamb of God for us not to have to worry about it. Today, I just want to say this. I want to ask you a question. Have you applied the blood? And if you have applied the blood, would it not seem, since it was so precious, for us to be willing to give just a little? Say, a tenth? Would it not seem that it would be just a small thing for us to obey Him when He has given us so much? 